We definitely want to pray today for all those who are sick, especially with the flu. I know a number of people, and with the news of the coronavirus around the world, and those who are suffering, and those who are vulnerable and in danger, we definitely pray. The Archdiocese this week actually gave instruction to all the clergy of the diocese uh, for Mass and different considerations we should have concerning the flu and the spread of the flu. And I just want to touch on a few of those because I know there, there sometimes are questions. First of all, the question, of course, is what about coming to Mass, right? What about coming to Mass? And the answer is if you are all worried that you are ill and contagious, um, you are excused from your obligation. Now, of course, we do have an obligation to Sunday Mass, Holy Day Masses. That's for your discernment. But if you are contagious, please don't come. Also, they touch on the sign of peace. Now, the sign of peace is an ancient gesture when Christians come together and worship in the liturgy, right? We hear about it in St. Justin Martyr's writings where he describes the Mass. And it's so beautiful. You go back that far to St. Justin Martyr, who was in the first two centuries, and he outlines the Mass that we still pray today. And the sign of peace is right in there. Now, the sign of peace can be given without having to shake someone's hand. So do not be offended if someone uh, just decides not to shake hands. You know, uh, the sign of peace, like, it's a, a no deacon today. But when the deacon and I are here, you know, we do, like, the clerical embrace, right? It's like, like the modified hug as the sign of peace. So there is not just the one way to give the sign of peace. But if you want to just do a verbal sign of peace, that's fine. The question also comes up about Holy Communion. And really, St. John Paul II Parish, we're, we're ahead of the curve. We don't distribute under both kinds under both species, uh, the sacred host and the precious blood. Now, just a reminder of why we don't hear. It's because we have the carpet, first of all. And if the precious blood were to ever spill, I couldn't do what we need to do to care for it. This is rented space, it's carpet. I don't like carpet in sanctuaries at all anyway, but I couldn't do what we need to do. But also just a reminder about the church's beautiful teaching that you, when you receive under just one species, either the host or the cup, you receive the entire body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So one thing we don't have to worry about is sharing uh, the cup of the precious blood. However, just a consideration, you know, you, you can receive in the hand or on the tongue. I grew up receiving in the hand. I moved to receiving on the tongue. But if you receive on the tongue, just an encouragement. When you receive, just stay still. Close your eyes. Present your tongue. Stick it out. And don't move <laughs> Because that's how I touch tongues. Um, but in that most beautiful moment of receiving our Lord, of course, I know there can be anxiety about the practicals and spreading sickness. But I just want to touch on what the diocese has presented. Now, you're going to want to pick up the bulletin because all this is in there and it goes into way more detail than I was expecting from our liturgy office. And one thing that it gets into is a hill that I never wanted to die on, but I'm actually really grateful that it's being presented and it's holding hands during the Our Father. Now, I grew up holding hands during the Our Father. My brother and I, because when you have siblings and you're both altar servers, you get scheduled together, would serve together, and the priest would invite us up next to him, and during the Our Father, we'd hold hands, and then at the end, we'd raise them up, and it looked very ritualized, right? Like, this is what we're supposed to do. Okay, well, the diocese actually has explained this really well. This is not my words. These are the words of our liturgy office. Well-intentioned folks introduced this practice, the holding hands during the Our Father, into parishes in the 1980s. Although holding hands can be a beautiful expression of people united in prayer, this gesture is neither envisioned nor encouraged by the church as a proper liturgical action 
or gesture in any of her documents governing the sacred liturgy, and therefore is neither called for nor required. It is most fitting to pray the Our Father with hands folded in prayer, another ancient gesture. And I love that gesture too. It all reminds me of, of ordination when the, the man to be ordained places his hands in the bishop's hands, and that's the moment you promise respect and obedience. So I just, I place my hands in the Father's hands, our Heavenly Father's hands, when I pray. And that's the most appropriate gesture for the Our Father. And so I'd really encourage that too, just us to be aware that holding hands during the Our Father has never been part of the church's instructions. Now there's the question though, right? But Father, I've always done it. My kids have always done it. I've taught my kids to do it. I've done it with them and I like it. And this is a really important point. The reason I wanted to get into this in the homily is because it touches on something I think going on particularly at our parish, but also across the church universal. And it's how intentional we should be when we pray the Mass. You're all here this morning instead of being at home praying. You could have prayed at home by yourself. You couldn't have celebrated Mass by yourself. And when we come together, this isn't just a private prayer. It's not a devotion. It is a communal prayer, a liturgical act. It's the act of Jesus Christ in his passion, death, and resurrection being presented to us that we get to enter into. It's not something we can do by ourselves. And it's not my personal prayer as the priest even, as the pastor. The mass belongs to the universal church. Not just everybody beyond Madison Place this morning around the world who's alive today, but especially the angels and saints in heaven and anyone who's ever lived united to Christ, right? This is our prayer. And the instructions given to us by the church matter. And I know it's weird to even talk about it, right? Because this is something we, especially if you've been Catholic for a long time, you just, you've done so often we don't even think about it, but I think we need to think about it. Because when the point was made in the instruction by the diocese about holding hands during the Our Father, it referenced documents governing the sacred liturgy. Documents governing the sacred liturgy. Now, I don't expect you, unless you're kind of a Catholic nerd, to really get into those documents. I'd never got really into those documents. And that's embarrassing to say. And I think, as a result, I need to get into something as our pastor. I know Mass feels different right now. If you've been at St. John Paul II from the beginning, or even close to the beginning as a founding member, you know Mass feels different, and I know it too, <laughs> right? And thanks be to God for so many wonderful hearts in our parish who have approached me concerned or wondering, what's going on, Father? Why is the music different? Why are we singing so much? What is going on? And I have to apologize because I haven't been explaining things as we go. And yesterday I got challenged by a parishioner in such a beautiful, charitable way. It was awesome. Who helps form teams. And she was explaining how, you know, it's not enough just to make a decision as a leader because every leader has anxiety making decisions. But effective leaders actually have to think out loud. They have to explain what they're doing. And I haven't been doing that, but that's what I want to do today. Why are things different? Well, this summer, it started hitting me really hard, part of our mission as a parish. Part of it is gathering people together around our Lord in the Eucharist, and that's the most important part. But also we have this task to look ahead to building, and we know we're still in our campaign. We're kind of like in halftime of the campaign right now. It's going to get real loud. 
So that's awesome. But right now we're in that halftime period. But as we're planning for the future, the building of a church is super daunting because if it's just about my preferences that I get a rubber stamp after there's a lot of consultation and feedback, but it just comes down to what I want, that's not going to work. The instructions of how you even build a church by the church are all based on first how you celebrate mass, how you celebrate the liturgy. And if we don't take seriously and aren't intentional about how we're celebrating mass, the building that we're going to get is not going to be what it should be. But that was embarrassing to admit that I didn't get into the instructions enough. I didn't get into the, gover the documents governing the liturgy enough. But when I started doing that this summer, I realized we have a lot of work. <laughs> In 2007, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops published a document called Sing to the Lord that's all about singing at Mass. But it's not about singing at Mass, it's about truly singing the Mass. So most of us, when we think of music and we think of song at Mass, we think about our favorite songs that touch us to the core, those hymns we love, or what we'd prefer, and that's great. But that's not the first thing the church thinks about when we sing the Mass, or not just the songs, but so much more. And Archbishop Nauman gave all the priests of the diocese and seminarians that document back in like 2007 or 2008. And I was in seminary at the time, and I received that document, and I put it in the pile. Okay, I'll get around to that. And that pile got moved <laughs> from seminary to rectory to rectory to rectory until I read it in 2019. And I realized I've been leading us a little backwards. When you think about singing at Mass, the first thing, as I mentioned, you might think of are the hymns, the songs. But when the church envisions the Mass being sung, which is totally beautiful and proper and ancient, there's actually an order of priority of what you sing first. So before you ever even consider singing a song at Mass, there are other things you have to consider. And the first thing actually to be considered is something we started doing this summer, the dialogues. The acclamations. When I say dialogue, I mean, when I sing, now don't respond, the Lord be with you. And you respond, and with your spirit. That's not something you do in your personal prayer. That's a beautiful action within the liturgy, the common prayer that elevates our prayer. Now, if you're like me and aren't used to that, because I've been a priest now, I'm in my 11th year. For 10 years, I can count on one hand how many masses I've sung in 10 years. What we've been doing since the summer has dwarfed all of that. Because we've been singing all these weekend masses. And i got to tell you, it's uncomfortable, but I do have to share my heart. At first, I'm like, okay, I'm not comfortable, I don't like it. But then the Lord keeps calling me back to himself. And this isn't a cop-out, but I really think all this has been going on in conjunction with our parish being consecrated this summer to Our Lady. When we did our consecration to our Blessed Mother this summer, I didn't even know the implications that would go on. But you have to remember the last words of our Blessed Mother in the Gospel of John, do whatever he tells you. If Our Lady is anything, it's obedient, obedient to the will of God. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. And I really think that do whatever he tells you approach, I had been avoiding in some things in my own personal life, but in our parish, and I'm sorry. 
Our lady won't let me stop, though, now. She won't let me keep coming back. How can you be more faithful? How can you be more obedient? Where are the instructions that should guide you? And one of the things about singing the Mass that's so beautiful is, you know, not only when you think about singing the Mass, did you do the dialogues first and sing the Amen, but before you even consider singing songs, there are other things you should sing, like the antiphons and the psalm. Now, when I say the word antiphon, that's something you might not have heard of before. And in the book for the Mass, the prayer book for the Mass, the Missal, those are listed there next to all the prayers. The prayers where I raise my hands, the collects, like this, and I address the Father. There are these other little prayers in there. And here's the thing. Those are ours. That's our heritage as Catholics, right? But I've been skipping them. I had been skipping them. And I've been depriving you. And you might feel like, well, Father, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. But I've been depriving you of those right? Because my own just personal whim of, oh, well, let's just sing a song instead. But the first preference is, no, 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 don't jump to the songs yet. Look at those antiphons. And you're going to hear our cantor sing those antiphons, like the communion antiphon. After I receive Holy Communion, you're going to hear a verse sung that comes straight from Scripture that the church provides as fitting to prepare us for Holy Communion. There's also an entrance antiphon we're going to start getting into eventually. Right now we're doing a hymn instead, but we're going to build into that. This is who we are. This is our heritage. This is our faith expressed in the sacred liturgy. And I'm sorry for depriving you of that. Now, the third thing is still not songs yet. After the dialogues and acclamations, the antiphons and psalms, then it's the refrains and repeated responses, like the Kyrie, the Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. Now, I know it might not even sound fun to get into all this, and it might sound like, Father, just take care of it, and that's fine if you're there, but here's the thing. Those responses and acclamations are not one-sided. They're for all of us, and I know you may not prefer to chant Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, Kyrie eleison, but I ask you to risk it, risk it. Do it. Try it. And do it until what pleases you lines up to what pleases God. That's the key to holiness. It's very simple. Learn what pleases God. Know what pleases you. And keep pressing into what pleases God until what pleases you is the same thing that pleases God. One thing we're also going to be doing, though, is chanting like the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. And we're going to start doing that in Latin. I know that's a can of worms for some. Latin was never supposed to be taken completely out of the liturgy. Now, that's coming for someone who took one class period of Latin. Not a whole class. 50 minutes. <laughs> Not a whole year. The seminarians are trained way better now, so God bless you. Your next pastor will be awesome. But 50 minutes. But we're going to start chanting the Sanctus and the Lamb of God here in Lent, and we're going to keep it afterwards because it actually does unite us. But here's the thing. All of this instruction that I'm giving you might not feel like it unites us, that it divides us, and that's where I want to go to the gospel. Before I explain what the bishops even say about Gregorian chant, chanting in Latin, I want you to consider the one temptation of Jesus Christ at the temple by the devil. That temptation strikes me so hard right now that the devil, a fallen angel, would take God himself to the house of God. How crazy is that? He could have taken up to any high place and said, jump off. But instead he chose to take him to the parapet of the temple. The temple is the house of God where people come together to worship, right? Like we're doing right now, to sacrifice. 
and he tries to make the temple a place of division. And then the fallen angel who would not serve mocks the angels who would serve by telling God himself a quote from Scripture. No, no, no. Toss yourself off. The angels will catch you. They won't let your foot dash against a stone. And I realize the evil one mocks us when we try to serve God. And if our mass has become a point of division, it's because of my failures, not because of the church's instructions. But I ask you to soften your hearts to the possibility that maybe you need what the church provides more than you need what you prefer, whatever that is. And I'm sorry if there are wounds in your heart from years of different associations with different things in regards to our faith or failures of individual members of the church, especially clergy who have done horrible things. But just remember, those sins and those failures are not a fruit of service to God or obedience. They're a fruit of disobedience and sin. We have gotten these wounds not because we have followed God's instructions, but because, like Adam and Eve, we rejected the instructions of God and therefore broke that relationship. But I think this point of unity is so important. And actually, someone came up to me after Mass at 8.30 and said, Father, I know you were talking about Mass. I've been avoiding something in my own life that's taking away unity in my family that I need to address. So maybe there's something there for you today. But just know, if the evil one is going to mock the angels who serve in the house of God, before God, he's going to attack you when it comes to the Mass. I don't know if you've ever been at Mass, and it's not just the normal distractions, but it's like the actual attacks of the devil that try to tell you that you don't belong, this isn't for you, this isn't clicking, get out of here. And those are horrible, horrible lies, because this is who you are, a child of God made to serve and to bear good fruit, and believe me, I know our sound isn't like big right now, but the Holy Spirit is moving in such a precious way. And I just really, really encourage you, embrace it. Embrace it. Yesterday we had a training for Project DNA of small groups in our parish, and one of our parishioners, Chad Perot, who's leading that effort, who works with the School of Faith, said when it comes to a family, you need to think about 150 years down the road about what you do with your family right now in regards to the faith affects your family 150 years later? And do you really take the faith in the home that seriously that 150 years later, you actually care what it looks like? When I start thinking about our parish, if this is just a matter of my personal preferences or any one personality, we are not gonna be here in 150 years glorifying God then. But if we keep walking the path of obedience and service and humility, watch out. The fruit is going to be ridiculous in 150 years. And we get to be part of that right now. Now that chanting in Latin leads from silence and back to silence. And one thing that you might find awkward is that we're being very intentional about silence at Mass. And you need it. <laughs> and I need it. Because that silence is so precious. But also, if we're going to break the silence with something we do for God, it better be worth it. And that's why the chanting at Mass is so important. The bishops of the United States in 2007 said this, Gregorian chant is uniquely the church's own music. Chant is a living connection with our forebears in the faith. The traditional music of the Roman rite a sign of communion with the universal church, 
a bond of unity across cultures, a means of diverse communities to participate together in song and a summon to contemplative participation in the liturgy. It's ridiculous how good the Lord is to us in his church. And these instructions can feel like a burden or can feel like they're restricting you, but believe me, they're going to set us free. And that's why I just want to end with these challenges. Whatever your preferences are, give them to God. Allow our Lord into whatever wounds you have, especially if that's some self-loathing. I've seen so much self-loathing among our Catholic brothers and sisters who loathe our own traditions. And I'm sorry for the hurt you have felt. And I just ask the precious blood of Jesus Christ to enter into those wounds because we deserve so much more than self-loathing. So please, please, please admit to God where your preferences are and then risk asking him to show you his face in the midst of what we're doing. I ask you to allow the Mass as it truly is just to minister to you. And I really invite you, sing. (laughs) Sing. I know we're not all gifted That's okay. That's why the chants are simple. Sing. But here's the biggest thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the liturgy gives us himself. Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity is poured out for you and me. Do not let anyone ever get in the way of that. And if I have been a stumbling block to you in my leadership as your pastor, I am sorry. Lord, have mercy. But allow our Lord to unite us because it is so good where our Lord is and where he's taking us. But the only path anymore is to do whatever he tells us.